The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Yeah. 
set in this week when I'm trying to prepare that my earthly father is not here anymore. So I'm going to share a little story with you about a little five-year-old blonde-headed boy that was going to do his level best to prove my father didn't love me. You have to understand I was adopted at five years old. And up until that point, I'd been moved around quite a bit from one place to another to another. For whatever the reasons were, I was a little jerk. And I was going to prove nobody could love this little jerk. But God put me in a home that had Christ in it. And because of that, that man loved me regardless of what I did. And trust me, I was a little jerk. I did things that when you would say, you can't do that, watch me. I don't want you to sit there. I'm going to. Whatever the case may be, I was going to be the opposite of whatever you ask, period. Because up until five years old, nobody loved me. This man, I 
treated me differently than anybody else ever had. And I think about from 5 to 10 years old, 12 years old, I challenged him every day. Every day I challenged him. And every day he loved me. Guys, I'm going to tell you, the love that he gave to me does not even compare to the love of our Father in heaven. Guys, I'm going to tell you today, I know that there's a great many of us that Father's Day is a tough day. For many different reasons, it's a tough day. And I get it because it's really tough for me not to be crying today because with the exception of my wife my father was the closest person to me dad worked a full time job worked a farm and still found time for me and I shared this this little tidbit of information with a friend of mine because one time my father couldn't make it to a home game. I was struggling in a hallway, preparing to warm up. Because I knew Dad wasn't going to be sitting on that bottom bleacher in the corner. He wasn't going to be there that day. And another man that's my friend in this room, Father was there for me. Didn't say much, a couple, three words, but it was enough. So understand this, guys. You, your father may not be your, you may not be that father to just your own. You may be a father to somebody else and just say a few words. You may just have an action that gets that young person through something. Our heavenly Father gave us the greatest gift of all. Remember that He sent His Son to this earth. I don't know that I and I could do that. He loved us all enough. So remember that on Father's Day, you have a earthly father, but you have a heavenly father that gave everything to you. So remember that as you go forth today and hug your father's neck. And if he's not here, I, I, I'm with you. I understand. But you can still love that father. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you do for us, what you've done for us, and what you're going to continue to do for us, Father. And I just ask in, in earnest today that you give strength to the fathers. Give the fathers wisdom, direction. Father, I just know and I pray that... You will guide each father. Father, that you will continue to guide them through their days. That they may be men of God for their families. Father, we, we cannot thank you enough for the sacrifice you gave of your son and his death and resurrection. And Father God, I thank you for that. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. His name was Loeb, L-O-E-B. He was born February 26, 1829 in Buttenheim, Germany. 
Uh, he was a strapping young man. He immigrated to the United States, ended up in San Francisco, and opened a textile shop where he sold clothes and, and different things to the miners around there. One day a gold miner came in, mad as all get out, yelling at him, and said, I bought these pants from you six months ago, and they're all worn out. And he, he said, well, let's talk about it. what's going on. Why? And he was really mad and wanted his money back. And so Loeb sat there and visited with him. Well, tell me what you do. He's a gold miner, and they spend a lot of time on their knees. And so all of the knees in his pants were all worn out. And he said, well, the problem is, and we need to make them out of something tougher. We need to make them out of canvas. So he calls a tailor friend of his, and they go and get a canvas tent out of the backyard. And they cut these things out, and they sew them into pants, and uh, the rest is history. You see, Loeb changed his name when he got to the States to Levi, to Levi Strauss. And now you know the rest of the story. There you go. Uh, and I love those. But it seems to me that Christians should have a similar problem. Pants with worn out knees. Because we have worked on our knees so hard. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones Jones said, Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. We're in this series called Point of Impact. We're looking at familiar stories. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. So if you're online or in the radio, uh, if you turn over to Exodus chapter 3, if you've got your app, you can open it up there. We don't really care how. We're just glad you're joining us, uh, whether you're in the room or online. We're going to look at familiar stories and, and the response of impact. How did they respond and how can we respond? How do we see God and does it change us? And the question I have for you today is, does God ever use the ordinary parts of life to show his presence? Keep that in mind as we read in Exodus chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in, amaze, in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Well, here I am, he replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. You're seeing the story of a broken man, a broken life, and a lot of broken dreams. Moses was probably 80 years old at this time. He'd spent 40 years in the palace, but then he spent 40 years running from God as far as he could get. For 40 years, he lived as a fugitive from the law and from the king and certainly from God, thought he could hide. He was just going through the motions, the everyday, the ordinary things. Now, sheep, we know, need food and water, and the Sinai 
wilderness where they were at averages two inches of rain per year. That's worse than us. And I didn't think anything was worse than us. So that's dry, dry, all right? And these herders were nomads. They, would, they knew to move, and they grew a skill that taught them how to look for the right kind of vegetation. And if that meant trekking off for weeks or months on end, they would do it. But that was their life, their ordinary life, doing what you're supposed to do, what you're told to do, what you need to do. Have you ever been there? Just trying to get through life, laundry and dishes, food and work and mowing the lawn and vacuuming the carpet and dealing with kids and dealing with parents and dealing with bills. And you get what I'm asking? What if... In the ordinary, that's exactly where God wants you to be today. What if He's trying to speak to you in the ordinary places? How many of you saw a movie came out in 1984 called The Natural? Robert Redford, if you didn't go watch this, it's fantastic. It's a baseball movie. It's, it's an epic story. It's got a lot of plot holes in it. But Robert Redford's this guy. He plays baseball. And, of course, at the end of the movie is this incredible moment. He's in pain, but bottom of the knife, two outs, two on kind of thing. And, you know, he's got two strikes on him, and he's hurting, and he swings, and he smashes this thing into the... And, and it soars into the heights. Remember what happened? It hits the lights. It shatters the lights, and, the, and it, it just rains down sparks everywhere, and the music, dun-dun-dun-dun. You know, it's so building, and it's so epic. It's so fantastic. And he's rounding the bases, and he trots on to home. You ever wanted a moment like that? I think a lot of us live with that. I want that moment. Because at that moment, then I know, oh, see, that's why I'm here. That's what all the work was for. That's what all the effort was for. I get it. Now, now it makes sense. Problem. We don't often get that. We don't often get that moment Sometimes it looks like work. Sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's tiring. Following God looks like work sometimes. Look closely at verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock. Boring. <laughs> nothing spectacular. Nothing earth-shattering. It's just one day. It's not said this special day. It's just a day. It's the ordinary, average day. Maybe God doesn't need our moment, and maybe He doesn't need our perfection as much as He needs our availability. Are we ready to go when He calls? But it's what happened in verse 2 that really hit me this week. Verse 2 is the famous burning of the bush. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And I've told y'all before, I love chasing rabbits. What I mean by that is I don't like being out in the field chasing rabbits. I, if I hear something like that, I'm like, I wonder what that's about. So I start reading dictionaries and, and old concordances and, and Googling stuff and different, finding out different things. Did you know that the burning bush story is in a lot of different religious backgrounds? I did not know that. I suspected it was a Bible story. It is in the Bible, but it is in other faiths. It's in the Quran. In the Muslim faith, the story of the burning bush with Moses is in the Quran. It is in the book of the Baha'i faith, which I don't understand very much, but it's mixed in with things. And the story of the burning bush is in the Rastafarian faith. 
Rastafarian, Jamaica. But in that story, the bush is made of cannabis, and so maybe it has a different meaning. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm not preaching that. I'm just saying that's where it is. But it says in all of these books that the angel appeared to Moses in the form of a bush on fire, but it was not consumed. I follow some uh, websites from Israel that uh, since we were there and, and different studies, and I follow one called Herzer Talmud. Uh, it's, uh, it's a Jewish congregation in Israel, and guy writes, the rabbi there writes blogs every once in a while, and so I kind of see him, uh, not regular, but he was writing one a while back about Burning Bush, and he said something that really rattled me. He said that many of the Orthodox rabbis taught that the bush had been burning for some time. It didn't just magically, and right when Moses walked up, that it had been burning for some time, meaning God had been talking, but Moses wasn't listening. Now, this is where it's different. He began to perceive all that God had been doing in the desert. Moses wasn't hearing God, so God lit this fire. What if it had been burning for days or weeks or months? What if it had been? And people didn't see it and Moses didn't see it. Maybe he'd been by this particular valley before and he didn't see it. Now, please hear me. I am not rewriting Scripture. I am not saying that's what happened, okay? I'm just saying the thought of it, the possibility of it kind of rattled me. I'm like, man, that's different. I wonder if it matters to us because, friends, so many times the problems we face in our life may not be the problem itself. It may be our perception of the problem. We may not realize that God is working. What if God has been working in your wilderness this whole time and you haven't seen it? I love that Moses says, this is amazing. I've got to go see this. Friends, I believe that God is speaking in our wilderness, and we haven't heard Him. And God is looking for a generation of believers that are seeing Him working everywhere. He's looking for a, a group of fathers that will stand up and see it and point it out to their kids. He's looking for a community that will show God is working, that we will see that God has been working, and we'll declare it all along. I really got to ponder in that a lot. Why is it that we whine about our culture so much? Why is it that we're, we're shocked that there's bad stuff out there? And there's bad stuff out there. Do we remember that Jesus, a couple of thousand years ago, said, Hey, remember when they hate you? He didn't say if. He said, When they hate you, remember they hated me first. Okay? He said, Don't be shocked. All right? They're going to hate you, is what he said. Everything in your culture is against you because you're against everything in the culture. Why do we moan about pain in our world? We see so much pain from the tornadoes in Perryton to this three, four-year-old boy having to go through three open-heart surgeries. Why is there so much pain? Yet Jesus told us a long time ago, in this world, you will have trouble. Don't worry, I've already overcome this world. There's just momentary troubles. And why are we shocked when sinners sin? It just seems like it bumfuzzles us Christ followers. They're like, why do they keep doing that? 
Because Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age blinds the eyes of the unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of God the Father, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. Basically what it means is the enemy is trying to get our eyes off of Jesus. When he gets people's eyes off of Jesus, there is going to be sin. And we look at all of these problems and, oh, yeah, it's whiny and it's terrible, but there is a lot of good out there. If you were with us last week, we showed a clip uh, a video clip from the Oklahoma University Sooners softball team. And it was at a press conference before they won the national championship. And they talked in, in very clear words about how great Jesus is, about their hope is in Jesus. And if you weren't with us or you didn't get to see it, all you got to do is go to YouTube and type in OU Sooners press conference, softball press conference and listen to what these girls say. And they just said it right there. Hey, you're not going to get any hope if it's not from the Lord. I, I have Jesus as my Savior. I mean, they weren't even holding back. They were just, just powerful. What about, what about The Chosen? How many of you have seen The Chosen series? Okay. If you know much about The Chosen, if you haven't, you need to watch this. Uh, I think it's three seasons out right now and fourth is in, pro, in production it's all completely crowdfunded. It's not at movie theaters. You can watch it for free. It doesn't cost a dime. It has bum-fuzzled Hollywood. It is just driving them crazy. They don't know what to do with it. It keeps shattering sales records, and it's not a movie, and it's not a series. It's a, a movieries. I don't know. They don't even know what to call it. It's, it's bizarre. And, and it's selling, and it's out there, and it's, it's not even selling. It's giving away. It's shattering expectations, completely crowdfunded, and it's declaring the greatness of God. We see it in athletes. We see it in, in different... St- there are public figures that are standing up for Jesus. I think one of my favorite times this year was G- January 2nd, on Monday Night Football, 19 million people tuned in to watch Cincinnati and Buffalo. What they did not realize is they were going to church. The Lord took 19 million people to church. And what happened that night, if you remember, it's DeMar Hamlin was one of the cornerbacks for the Bills. He got hit in the chest. He fell down. He died on that field. They really won't come out and say that, but that's what happened. He died on that field. And they, they gave him, you know, got the paddles, and they got him back to, to life. And all of these players that knew him saw him dead. And then... And they couldn't play. And you saw what happened the next two days. I mean, it was just blowing up everywhere. Pray for three. Pray for DeMar. Pray for all this stuff. And on ESPN, on live ESPN Sports Center, one of the, one of the commentators gets up and says, you know, I keep hearing all this stuff about pray for DeMar, and we're just going to do that right now. So he just bows his head right there on live TV. Can you imagine the director's head? He's, he's in the booth going, no! Yeah. And he just starts in, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying for DeMar. And, I mean, just broadcasting the gospel. And I don't want to hang on to small things. I, I believe that God is working. Amen? And we need to trust Him even when we cannot see it. This next image that's coming up is from the St. Catherine's Monastery. It is a, a monastery. It's at the foot of Mount Horeb in Egypt also called Mount Sinai. Uh, it is a, a, still a breathing monastery. You can visit it. And it is said to be the place where God spoke to Moses in this passage, that it is at the foot of this mountain. And they're the caretakers of that 
are suggesting and believing that this is the actual bush that was on fire. And their reasoning for that is it was only grown there. They, they, they told what kind of plant it is. It's about this long. I couldn't, I couldn't pronounce that. But it only grows there. That's the only one they've ever found. And 100% of the time that they have tried, they have tried shoots off of this plant to grow anywhere in the world. Every single solitary one of them has died. The only one that's alive is that one right there. And so they claim it to be. I don't know if it was or not. I don't know. Okay. I just thought it was really great imagery. But I wonder this. How many times do we want God to just speak to us? To just, just write it in the sky what I'm supposed to do. Anybody have ever done that? And we're like, God, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'll do it. I don't care. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Okay. But watch what happens in verse 4. Good, look closely at verse 4. This is huge. When the Lord saw Moses coming, God called out to him. Note the flow. Moses moved in the direction of God, and God spoke. Do you hear that? But sometimes we stand here and say, God, fix my situation. And when you do, I'll, I'll start moving towards you. I'll start following. Do you hear that? That ain't how it's listed here. He says, when God saw that Moses was moving in his direction, he spoke to him. Moses stepped out. God spoke. Maybe he's speaking to you today. To, speak, to step out of your comfort zone and talk to people about Jesus. Don, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't think Moses did either. Maybe he's calling you to step out of the crowd, teenagers, to stop looking and acting like all the rest of them and to act differently. When you step out of the crowd and then you're back around that crowd, that crowd will be different because you have the presence of God on you. Step into him. Friends, I know this is hard, but i got a hunch that there's a bunch of you in here that would agree some of my best times, personally, best, best times of growth in my life have come in seasons of dryness. Anybody? Seasons of wilderness, seasons of desert, seasons of not flourishing, but God is speaking growth into me. And it's interesting to me, what does God ask of Moses? Now, if, I were to, if we were having a class and I said, what did God ask Moses to do? Most of you would say, well, lead my people out of Israel. You saw Charlton Heston do it. You know what you're supposed to do. He's supposed to let my people go, right? What's the very first thing that God asked, you, asked Moses to do? Take off your shoes. Simple thing. He didn't say, Moses, I want you to build a giant temple. Moses, I want you to write songs. Moses, I want you to preach. No. Moses, I want you to do the first thing first. Do the little thing. Friends, so many times a simple act of obedience begins the process of extraordinary things. Putting your money in proper authority, under the proper authority, God's authority. Putting your time under God's authority. God, Don, I don't have time to read the Bible every day. Are you sure? Because if you will give your time the authority to God, He will make the time work. He's really good at that. Even if it is something small, will you obey? 
Admiral William H. McRaven was a four-star admiral, a Navy SEAL. He is a writer. I've gotten some of his books lately. He's a great guy. 37-year military career, more medals than I, I don't even know if he could wear the jacket anymore. He's got so many medals. Uh, in the Navy, he was uh, very, very well, like I said, four-star admiral. He is credited with organizing and and uh, admitting or controlling the SEAL Team 6 group that got bin Laden. He, he, he's credited with that. In 2014, he was the keynote speaker, uh, commencement speaker, for the University of Texas, Austin Hookham. And uh, uh, i to throw that in there for you OU fans. And, and he gave a speech that has been really widely used. And you might have seen this, but it's called Ten Rules for Living. You ought to go look him up sometime. He's an incredible guy. But this is rule number one. He comes out to... 50,000 people here, at, you know, and, and all these graduates, he said, you need these 10 rules to make your life work. Number one, his number one rule, make your bed. Here's what he says. If you make your bed every morning, you'll have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many other tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never do the big things right. Have we missed this memo in our Christian walk? To do the little things right? To love on people no matter what their background is, no matter how they're living, to just love on people, to just be kind. To serve people without expectations. To tip well when you go to a restaurant. To return your grocery cart at the store into the little slide things. To greet people with a smile. I wonder, what, what would have happened? We don't get the story, but what would have happened if Moses didn't take off his sandals? I don't know. Would he have got zapped right there? Would we never have most of the Old Testament? I don't know. I, but... It was a simple thing, and he has asked us a lot of simple things to us. He said, remove your shoes. Now, they're outside. It's a, it seems like a, a strange concept, but he's got his shoes on. The appropriate response is awe. You notice when he figured out who it was, he said he couldn't even look at him. It, it was, it, it's, it's this sense of awe. I wonder... Have we lost our reverence for God? Are we too casual with Yahweh? And I take responsibility for that because I want us to have a relaxed, fun atmosphere here, but we need to continue a reverent authority to God. In Israel, on the Temple Mount, uh, the Western Wall, this would be the Western Wall here, on the Western Wall, Orthodox Jews come, they wear their phylacteries, they write their prayer requests, and they stick them in little breaks in the brick. And we did that, and there's a woman's side and a men's side, and we did that, and they walk up there. But the Orthodox Jews do something different. Orthodox, the black hats, the black, you know, the little spindles coming down. The, the, how they address the Western Wall is just like this. When they pray, and they're praying, and they're nodding like this, and they put their stuff in the wall... They back away. They will not turn their back on God because of the reverence, because of the awe. 
Even on the Temple Mount that is now Muslim-controlled, Muslims wash their hands and feet in, in reverence. What signs of respect does God demand of us today? Now, I was raised like a lot of y'all, tiptoe, tiptoe in God's house. Do you remember that one? Tiptoe very softly. You know, we were all quiet, be still, don't run. I yell at my kids all the time for the same thing. All right, so I, I get that. And some of you were raised where, well, the way you respect God is women don't wear pants. Anybody? I, I can't find that verse in there, but I, I keep trying. I haven't found it yet, but that's rabbinical law. That's passed down from people. What are the things that God asks of us? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Go back to the passage. God introduces Himself. I am God. I like long walks in Eden. You know, and things like that. He, he's, he's just letting Himself be out there. But don't miss this. This is huge. Moses, I'm the God of your family. Did you get that? I am the God of who? Jacob, Isaac, anybody else in there. I mean, just I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm, I'm your ancestral God. I have your history. Friends, do we confuse what we do with who we are? You won't know who you are until you know who he is. You will not truly understand your identity. I've said before, my biggest enemy is often my inner me. I, I'm often confused by that. But friends, our identity, it's not in your skills. It's not in your money. It's not in your job. It's not in your pretty eyes or your muscles on your gym day when you did legs or arms. Hey, Moses, listen up. I am your God. Did you get that? He's saying the exact same thing to us today. And we declare it. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. And I love seeing what God says next. Looking down into verse 7. Verse 7, we didn't read, but listen to it. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Did you hear the progression? I would seen their suffering. I would heard their cries. I know their pain. God is always concerned when people are hurting. He's always concerned when they're hurting, when they're oppressed. He sees you. He knows you. He hears you. He understands your situation, whatever it is, lonely or scared. We want to speak Jesus over anxiety and depression. We want to speak Jesus' name over division and hurting. You are not alone. And God responds. But does He send a legion of angels to liberate His people? No. He sends an 80-year-old shepherd. An out-of-work, out-of-life. Uh, out he, 
He didn't send an angel. He sent, he sent an angel to speak to the person. And this is a big thing too. And I want us to get this. This is often how he works. His usual way to alleviate suffering and injustice and pain is not to suspend the laws of nature. It is not to violate the principle of human freedom. It is not usually an angelic army. What God usually sends, people. And here is the point of impact today. To whom is he sending you this week? To what group of people, to what person is he, spent, is he sending you? Because you might be that one he needs. We're headed to camp tomorrow. We have 27. There's going to be about 200 people up there this weekend or this week. And I'm asking, will you pray for those 27 that are our church family? Not any more or less, but just that you know some of these people. They're going. To, we're going to Sacramento. We've never been. We don't know anybody. We're just we're going blind, but we we're trusting God. I don't want you to pray that. Oh, please don't let them have, you know, skin knees when they're playing laser tag or anything like that. So we get skin knees. I want you to pray that their hearts are open. Their eyes are open. They're hearing songs. They're hearing the voice of God. What about your work? Will you pray for every one of your coworkers by name? What if you did? What if you sit down and wrote out a name on a yellow notepad every name of all of your coworkers? Now, some of you got in big places and you can't do that. Well, just do your section, right? What about families? Will you lift up the fathers that you know by name? Will you pray for single moms? Will you reach out and help them? What if the bush is still burning and he's calling out to you today? Answer the call. Be impacted by God and then go impact people. Because Jesus often chose the weakest men. Beggars, thieves, and harlots were his friends. Was Jesus, or excuse me, was Moses perfect after this? No, just read the rest of that chapter. You don't even have to go very far. Was he talented? I think most of us could universally say that's a hard no, Don. He, he was kind of a bonehead in a lot of places. But this was the start. And maybe this is the start for you. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time and God is speaking to your heart. Maybe you've been here every week and he's still speaking to your heart. He's calling out for people to have a simple obedience, an uncomplicated availability, and a confident identity. I don't think Moses had his confidence up at that point because all you got to do is read the rest of that chapter. He came up with every kind of whine and, and gripe. I can't do this and I can't do this. And... But if he's calling to us, are we looking for where he is already working and burning? And go there. Levi Strauss made millions because he gave them thicker knees. He gave them more padding, made them stronger so they could do the job. Maybe it's time all of us got ready to stand on holy ground. Maybe it's time some of us get back down on our knees and are changed by this impact. Would you pray with me?
God, you have been faithful all of our lives. You have been and you will continue to be faithful. May we be impacted. May we be changed. And may others see it in us. Father, thank You for this burning bush. And I pray that You are speaking to some of us, to all of us, in a powerful and new way, today and every day. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.